Oh yeah. Yes, that'll get you going. The juices are flowing, my friend. After that intro, I mean, I got... Ooh, that's what happens when the Kings play well, guys. We get creative. We start thinking about <laughs> what we can do to improve the show. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? I am that song is how I am. <laughs> that song is me and I am that song. I, I am no longer just regally entering this podcast episode. I am kicking doors down and taking names and chewing bubble thrashing. Down. We're thrashing over here. I love it. New, new us, new team, new us. Just... We're probably the first people who attempted to modernize that song. I'm pretty sure in world history, <laughs> just in world bold. History, that's how we do. I think our idea, I think our line of thinking was our favorite goalie masks of all time. have always been consistent, like mm-hmm. Eddie, the Eagle, different teams, whatever. Only the color changed. The design was the same. Felix Potman, only the color changed. Design was the same. That's what we did with our intro, guys. Same song, just spruced it up a little bit. Changed the colors. Gave it, you know, some vibrant. Fresh coat of paint. That's Fresh coat of paint. Little glitter. Maybe a little chrome on the on the edges. That's <laughs> that's what we are. That's what we do. I love it. And, it. and it goes well for how the boys have been playing. That's right. Just shiny, clean, and just metal. All the way through. 4-0-1 yeah, since we last left say. you. 4-0-1. It was right before that back-to-back. Second Coyotes game, right? Yeah. Yes, it was right before yeah. the back-to-back Arizona-Vegas back-to-back. I mean, man, that Arizona game, we could <laughs> we could talk about that for a while. But uh, the Kings went Arizona-Vegas, split those, um, lost to Vegas in shootout. The shootout. Yeah, yeah. Yes, then they... Hit the road, where they are apparently extremely comfortable. Just a brief stop in Canada, Toronto, Ottawa, and then to Philly. And then a three-day break. Because tonight, by the time you're listening to this, would you say biggest game of the season so far against Vegas? Probably. I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. I think, uh, especially given how things started, kind of an incomplete roster, um, Again, not that I thought they played poorly against Vegas the first time around, but certainly not coming in with the same uh, momentum and the types of wins that they have had uh, since they played Vegas, you know, a little over a week or so ago. Certainly a good uh, measure for for where they're at, and especially Vegas now finally having lost to the mighty Ducks of Anaheim. (laughs) That's right. Uh, but even that Vegas game, right? It was pretty tight, man. Like it could have gone. It was. It was. We, it could have gone either way. We did a little bit on uh, Jesse's podcast, All the Kings Men, and we mm-hmm. kind of talked about how about as even a game as you could really imagine, um, coming down to a shootout, which is whatever the Kings thus far have not any success in the shootout. But great game, the Arizona game. We'll touch on it real quick. I mean. I think I texted you and it was hyperbole at the time, I felt, but I was really juiced. So I told you this is like a season-defining win in October. (laughs) Sure, a little crazy at the time, but I mean, if you look at what's happened since, I don't think they've played played a bad period. That's fair. That's certainly not a bad game. Yeah, certainly not a bad game. Right, and the first period was not good against Arizona, we know this. Not good... Mostly, I would say, due to a couple of defensive lapses, some 
questionable goaltending. But since that comeback, and it was a amazing comeback, and you saw it coming, because after the first 10 minutes of the first period, it was all Kings. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I felt it's been a lot of Kings control mm-hmm. since that that 10 minute span. The thing I thought about right away, and, and and I think you and I have talked about this a lot when it happened, is when Tyler Toffoli scored that buzzer beater in 2018 mm-hmm. against Boston. You remember that? I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. And how we felt like those are the kinds of wins that set you up for the future. Those are the kind of wins that make you have that feeling that every team wants to bottle as soon as they feel it. It's just confidence, believing in each other, positive momentum moving forward, right? Like those are the type of wins that I think set you up to have those feelings. And those feelings are very important. Confidence is so important. I mean, you look around the Pacific, we can get into it a little bit later, but confidence might be the most important thing Mm -hmm. for for teams in this division, which is on paper very strong. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I think you, you know, you could always argue that winning breeds confidence, but confidence also breeds winning in a lot of ways. And um, I think when you have wins like that, I think when you have comebacks like that, and I think when you keep rolling period after period after period, it makes it easy for the coaching staff in particular to point out and go, this is just like Phoenix a week and a half ago. This is just like this period, you know, like it's pinpoint stuff. It's not these kind of airy non-specific things. You get to point to it and go, remember when we did this? So it, and it helps the team believe it, it galvanizes what they're what the coaching staff is trying to do it galvanizes what the approach to the team build is and it shows the results prove that you are built in a way that you're never out of it if you are down and when you're up you can still control and we've talked about this a couple times that in the past we've wished the kings had a little bit of killer instinct a little bit of the ability to kind of stomp on the neck and put out the comeback and prevent any kind of comeback. And I I think I'm seeing flashes of that now. I think in Toronto, I definitely saw it in Philly. I most certainly saw it where there was this, no, not only are you not getting back into this game, but we're going to add on just one more goal to kind of just completely break your spirit and kind of boo you out of the building. And I thought I saw some, some posts kind of going on, recently that every team in this little run that the Kings have beaten have had some sort of a, some sort of like a breakdown extending into the next period, next game as well. Ottawa is the one that comes to mind in particular (laughs) where, where they got like booed and and Brady Kachuk had to kind of, you know, call out the fans for their bullshit and stuff like that. So it was just like this, it's still, you know, you're not like, I don't know. I, I I like seeing stuff like that because those that's the kind of stuff that really makes a team tough, tough to play against throughout an entire season. And I think when stuff like that happens on the road, it oh, makes definitely. you want to play on the road, right? Like it's yeah. if you're a competitor, like you savor that. Like I could just imagine being an NHL player and hearing like what was that two minute possession against Toronto? Yeah. When the Kings of the last two minutes had the puck in the zone and, and they were amazing. The Leafs amazing. were just gassed. And I think right around like the one minute mark of that shift, the boost started trickling in. 
and then the buzzer sounds and like you get overwhelmed with that noise it's gotta be cacophony yeah it's gotta be like the best feeling in the world like i i remember watching it and i was like the camera was on a couple of kings players i'm like how are they not smiling i would be just grinning like an idiot at that point Dude, if you, I mean, especially a guy like Dowdy or something like that. It was on Dowdy too. The can't like the first shot was on Dowdy. He had like stone face. Talk about maturity. Our, our, our boy's growing right in front of our eyes. But I mean, special game, certainly. Toronto is always a special game, but so many of these guys are coming from that area. Grown up Leafs fans have family that are Leafs fans. For Quentin Byfield, the first time his first time he got to play in Toronto, his dad was there in the toronto box kind of yeah. watching him and and that sh- and that shift certainly where he kind of ba- not i don't want to say took over but like th- that strong forecheck to turn over to to strong play down the middle uh, i mean it was it's just stuff like that and i think it's kind of rolled from that game into ottawa into philly you almost you almost don't want them to have as long a break as they've had. I realize that I was it's thinking a lot of that travel. Same thing, man. Yep. And yep. it's not just this break because I think they they're going to play Vegas. There's a Vegas. few this month. There's yeah. there's a yeah. They go three and four, and then they're off again for another four nights. It's kind of this weird spacing. I swear, I was thinking about that just today. I was like, man, when you're playing this well and you're just rolling, the last thing you want to do yeah. is have extended breaks like this and just play like two games in a week. Right. You know, it's, right. just, it's uh, whatever. And also as a fan, I'm, I'm sure as a fan, we want, like, we want to watch when the boys are rolling. Like, Oh dude, I, I told you, I thought the game was tonight. I was, I was like jazzed and you're like, no nah, man, it's Wednesday. I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. that's just, that's an entire other day. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just, I get it. But still. And then I'm sure they're dying to play when they're playing this well, right? Like oh, practice definitely. is practice and no, obviously it's important, but man. But I think it also goes into that confidence thing, right? Like if you're coming off the kind of week you are and you know you have Vegas waiting for you when you get back home, you want to get right into that. You want to go right up against that team that you just lost to in a shootout a week and a half ago. And then I think the longer it goes, the you lose that internal momentum a little bit and then it's going to take a period or two to kind of get it back hopefully not i mean this team has has really shown a lot of interesting characteristics i think so far this season that i'm certainly not used to seeing i'm i welcome them but uh, but like strong starts strong possession in this little run contributions up and down the lineup so i i really hope that that detail doesn't slip with this long a layover and flights back and, and especially Vegas now coming off of their only loss so far this season against Anaheim. Again, another late third period comeback win for Anaheim. So, you know, they're going to be kind of looking not to, not to add more losses to the, to the loss column. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably overthinking it and, and hopefully it doesn't end up being that way, but you can see how these little things may add up to at least a slow start for the Kings tomorrow or tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And I, man, the last thing I wanted is for Anaheim to win that game. Like I was just, I know I was like, uh, I really had kind of circled Kings nights tonight to be the, to the, to be the game. The Knights dropped their first one. Yeah. Just, and not just 
not because the Kings are like overwhelmingly better or anything, but at some point you're gonna, I mean, how long are you gonna win? Right. Like it's like, well, it's a complacent, I mean, it's not a complacency thing, averages. but like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so I think okay. when you lose, it kind of snaps you back and you go, no, 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 we're, we're, we're not going to let this happen it's again. It's almost you know? like you it's almost like you're relieved you lost yeah. because yeah. it's like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about, right. Let's keep the streak going boys. You know what I mean? Like you could take a quick breath and they have a couple of days off. Vegas does just like the King. So right. um, it's going to be a good game. And the flip side of it is, Hey, let's get them at their best. If you want to mm-hmm. have a true measuring stick game, I think it sets up pretty well. Uh, you mentioned Quinton Byfield, his first game in Toronto, actually his first game against the Maple Leafs period. Um, mm. I, did, I did not know that until I looked it up, Yeah, but he had never played Toronto in his career. So that's, that works because he came out of that game with two assists. He had two points. In fact, in his last, let's see, five games, he has nine points. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Eight points. Yeah. Three. Yeah. One and seven. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously three assists against the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know. Was that his best Best game in the NHL was the game before his best game in the NHL. It's uh, a good it's a, question to ask. Yeah. It's a fun little thing because it really does feel like he's he's found something here, right? Like, I'm not saying let's exhale and everything's going to be fine, but you're looking at a completely different hockey player compared to anything yeah. we remember him being. So experience plays a big factor in that. I hope to God it, his summer training – was there and that plays a big part of it or maybe maybe it wasn't and he still has training to do and he can get even better i don't know but all outcomes are positive and that's the bottom line with quentin byfield right now i i think going back to what we've talked about and we talked about this with with jesse when we were on his show um the approach has been there the approach has been there even going back to last season you've been hearing it you've been seeing it and it's always just been that last little fractional detail, that last little bit of drive, that last little, oh, if you had zigged instead of zagged, the result would have been completely different. Um, and even even still, there was against Ottawa, there was that play where Ottawa turned it over, Kopi found him wide open in front of the net, and you had a split second where, mm-hmm. and, and you point, I, I thought this was, <clears throat> this was a great kind of example that you gave. Cause I, I initially saw that and I was like, well, I completely understand what he did. Kempe was coming up to the left side of the net stick down. And he thought to himself, easy peasy, left-hand shot, left side of the net. Like this is, you know, it's Kempe buried. And if that shot goes in, no one's even talking about like, oh, Byfield should have shot. It should have done this. But, but you pointed out something that I really liked. You're like, what if it was the other way around? What if, Kempe was the one in front of the net and Byfield was coming to the left side. What do you think Kempe would have done? And you didn't, you didn't even have to like explain to me what your logic was because that puck would have left Kempe's stick and ended up in the net so fast that he wouldn't have even realized that Byfield was, was there in the first place, you know? So I think it's yeah. little plays like that. And maybe that's just the kind of player he is, is that he's always going to be looking to pass. That's fine. I don't mind that. I think it was still, I, the idea was good. But it was the it's, right. It's look, a little. It's yeah. the right play. I'm not even gonna. I I I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and I'm about to rebuttal myself. It's okay, the right. It's, it's the right play, but it's the right play in a hockey 
sense, right? It's it's the right play in X's and O's and like get the best shot possible. But in my opinion, and people came after me on Twitter when I tweeted like, I know it's the right play, but I wish he would have shot it. In my opinion, it's the wrong play when you consider the environment he's in. He's in Ottawa. All this shit about Tim Stutzla we've been hearing, like he's he's looking at you from the bench. Probably, you know what I mean? Like he's there. Sent, right. You're on the road. You have that chance, man. It's you and the goalie. And Corpusalo was kind of stuck because he didn't mm-hmm. expect the pass to get through. And if you look at Corpusalo's body language. He's already he, down. He's Not only is he down, but he's stuck. Like his skates are in a yeah. position where he's not going to kick out uh, to the blocker side and, and, and make a really high percentage save attempt. So if, if Byfield just hangs on for a split second, I think it's like a layup. He's going to score yeah. that goal. Um, again, it's a nitpicky thing, but like I, it's, you, you know, you mentioned what's the last thing. The last thing is that, in my opinion, the final hurdle for him is to shoot the puck with the intention of scoring mm-hmm. and being confident that I'm going to score here. Right. Like I remember years ago in the 2012 uh, playoffs first round when Jared Stoll scored that overtime winner. Mm-hmm. It was a two-on-one with Dwight King, and they interviewed him after the game, and he said something along the lines of, sorry, Kinger, there's no way I wasn't going to shoot that puck. Like, I'm shoot like, he has that puck two-on-one. He knows his shot is good. Right. I'm shooting this, dude. Like, right. sorry. <laughs> you know? And I love that attitude. It's, it's, it's a guy who realizes the moment, and he's like, there's no way I'm not firing this thing. And yeah. it's a smaller moment, but I think it's it was still a moment for him right there to be like, there's no way I'm not burying this right now. Again, yeah. small thing, very nitpicky, nothing to be concerned about, but I think it's the last thing for him to be like, I'm going to score because I can score. So, And that's going to come with confidence and it's going to come with him actually scoring some goals for him to realize, oh, I could do this regularly because right now he's always looking for the other two. It's working. Mm-hmm. Um, in that particular case, it was probably the right play. But I would say be a little bit more selfish, Q. That's all. Just a little yeah. bit more selfish. The the other very good thing that has kind of come from this progress beyond now the numbers are showing up, now the all the all the you know parts are starting to align and you're actually seeing results. You're starting to see the second power play unit now also become a very effective unit as opposed to just getting the 30 seconds in there between him and Kaliev, the two of them have, have really revitalized that unit. I think made it a very legitimate option and a very different option in terms of approach to the power play than how PP one does it in my opinion. Um, it, and it's great. We've, we've, we've always said that if you can get those two guys to be, 40, 50 point guys this season, which they're both on track again, very early things can change, yada, yada, but they're both on track and they're both doing the appropriate things to get those numbers. Then the end result of the season is going to be very, very promising. So I I think that's nice to see. I think it's, it's all kind of clicking together. You're starting to see multiple units work. You're seeing the goaltending kind of solidify a bit. Talbot obviously having a, a terrific week here, second star of the week for them for you know the the entire league. Um, 
it's all just humming, man. It's all, it's all really, really doing well. So you want to talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois now? Uh... <laughs> so, okay. A little bit of, we got shit on quite heavily for, for calling out something. And, that... and, and look, I'll accept that. I will. I will 100% accept that. Can you guys tell who tweeted that? I'm fine with it. I accept it. Uh, look, I'm going to preface this very plainly and simply by saying, as a human being, as a teammate, as an addition to a team, Pierre-Luc Dubois seems like a super, super nice guy. Between the friendship bracelets, all the interviews, all the video, everything that I've heard, seen, said about him from other people is that he is just a really good dude. Okay. That being said, he has a reputation. Yes. You want to call it streaky? Fine. He has a reputation in other cities of when he's unhappy, he plays unmotivated. And when he's motivated, he is ridiculous. He is unstoppable at times. So I realize it's hard to bring that every single night. I'm not expecting that. I'm not expecting him to be a point of game player, although you could argue that for what he's getting paid and what the expectation is on him, that yeah, he should be a point of game player, new system, yada, yada, say what you will. My issue was, was not why, you know, oh, the team's winning. Why do you care? It was an effort thing. And in that Philly game, he was the worst player on the team by a country mile. Like there were several times where someone else had to bail out the team or him to preserve the shutout because of a lazy play or a bad pass or bad defensive zone turnover. There was just too many things. And it had been kind of going on despite the fact that the team was rolling, despite the fact that everything in two, three games prior to that was going well. So yeah, I, after watching it for four or five games, a decline in his play. Yeah. I'm okay with calling it out. I don't think I was alone in that observation. Just because the team is winning does not mean that you can't point out the areas where things are falling short. Just, just, that's just me. Am I off base? Am Full I wrong? Disclosure, I, yeah. Yeah. Listening. When Vardy and I are texting, we are not as kind <laughs> to players as we are on the podcast, as we are when, when we tweet. Just, you know, that's just fandom, right? Like, yeah, you're in the moment, you're emotionally invested, whatever. It's, it's a conversation between two friends. I don't disagree. Like, he, he did look awful in that game. And I think that's the word he, Thank used. You. he did. That, like, forced passes, like, throwing it into areas where no one's around just really relying on his reach more than his feet to like try to make something happen. He got stick stick lifted twice in our own zone, trying to like, you know, round their own the half ball and and, and skate it up and got stick lifted twice. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, and um, everyone who, who wants to say like lighten up or whatever they're winning, I understand what you're saying. Like, yes, everything's good right now. But if you've watched enough hockey, you know that there are parts of a season, every season, there's a part I'm sure coming up where the Kings 
aren't going to be rolling like this and you're going to need your top players to bail you out in situations like that when everything isn't clicking, when everything doesn't seem easy. And I think truly great teams are hard on themselves when things are going at the very best. When everything is rolling the way you want, that's when I think true championship teams will be like, how can we be better than this? I think I'm not saying the Kings aren't asking those questions. I'm just saying if you're on Twitter and you want to be a moron and say, you guys don't know what you're talking about, like, it's fine. You want to have a conversation with us? Have a conversation with us. You want to call out what we know or what we don't know? I'm probably going to block you at some point. Just I'm just throwing that out there, (laughs) just floating that out there. We never make it personal. If someone replies to that tweet and says, I disagree, I think it's These are the reasons why. (laughs) We'd be like, cool, man. I understand your perspective. This is mine. But if you're going to come at me with some stupid shit, like, I expect better from you guys. (laughs) I'm already itching. I'm already itching for it. I know it's not a big deal to be blocked by a podcast with like 1,200 followers. I get it. It's fine. But my life is going to be a lot easier. Right. Because I'm not going to read your stupid shit. Right. That's That's all. So I don't disagree with you. I I will say I have complete faith that he's he's going to go on a stretch where he's going to look great. I really do. Dubois is. But I also fully expect that there will be a stretch after that right. where he might where he might kind of fade for 3 4 games and, because that's and look, what his career has been. That's what you got. Yes. Yes. And this is this is what it comes back to my fundamental issue, okay? If you brought on Pierre-Luc Dubois and said, we're going to give you six and a half, seven million, whatever it is, you of a career high, 63 points, known disappearing act player, not really a very good all around center. These are, you're a good player, but you're not, can we agree? He's not like a franchise cornerstone type player. No. Yeah, he's he's not. not he's right never now. has been. Yeah, yeah, not right now. So you brought him on and you signed him to this contract based on the potential of what you think he's going to be now that he's in a city and a team that he, oh, it was of his choice. This was the big narrative. This was the big, he's a tall center who can be very, very effective when he's motivated and now he's motivated and he's where he wants to be and he had a choice and, you know, everything is going to be a happy marriage. Now I have to sit there and hear about like, well, there's a system and he's not really sure how to play with Kevin Fiala and, and this and that. I'm like, dude, I don't think you bring in a guy the way that you brought this guy on for how much you paid to get him for how much you're paying to keep him so that you can then sit there and make excuses about, oh, but Kevin Fiala is so tough to play with. He's such a confusing player. How how could anyone be expected to do anything? Kevin Fiala is still a point of game player. He 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 was struggling. You want to talk about look, we we call out Kevin Fiala when he plays poorly, when he's making bad passes, bad decisions with the puck, sure. But chances are the next night he's gonna come out there and do something amazing and probably get some points for it. First shift out and against Philly, he had a breakaway that Peterson came up with a huge save against. Late in the third, I think, there was one shift where it like randomly ended up being Laferriere, Lazat, and Fiala. 
because they were like in the middle of a change. And wouldn't you know it, they scored a goal. I mean, it was just like, you can, you can tell me that Kevin Fiala is tough to play with. You can tell me that there's some crazy complication in the Kings offensive system that's somehow befuddling Pierre-Luc Dubois. I will accept all of those things. What I won't accept is the effort. What I won't accept is the, is the just lackadaisical. There was like four or five games in a row where I was just like, what is he doing? He's not even like the effort is so poor. The attention to detail is so poor and it becomes glaringly obvious when the rest of the team is doing so well and dialed in and everything is clicking. He sticks out like a sore thumb. That was my problem. That is that that's just how I, I, I look at this. Like I don't care if Trevor Lewis has a bad game. Trevor Lewis is here and gone next next year. You know, like I'm not looking for him to do anything more than he's already doing. But the way you brought this guy on, the ex- expectation that you placed on everything that you traded to get him and what you were thinking of doing by bringing him on was that he wasn't just going to be a passenger. He wasn't going to be eighth in scoring on the team or something like that. Like he needs to be consistently night after night, even if he's not putting up points, he needs to be a consistent top two to three player for the team because that's what you signed him on for. That's what you're paying him to do. That's it. That's all I got. I don't think it's unfair. I don't think it's unfair and, at all. And I don't I don't think the team disagrees with me. You can you can throw stuff out at me and say like, oh well Daryl Evans said, look, the results aren't there, but we really like him. Come on, man. Come on. That's 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 press fodder. What are they supposed to say? You're telling me the coaching staff is going going back there and looking at things up and down and going, No worries. <laughs> we're not worried about this at all. As long as we're winning. As long as everyone's happy in the clubhouse. No way, dude. No way. That's 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 what they do. And if you're not happy with, you know, me being overly critical, I'm I'm sorry. That's my MO. I can't watch these games and not notice stuff like that. That's super obvious. And and judging by the number of people who who agreed with us, I I don't think I'm wrong. Another thing is that when you see when you watch the Winnipeg game, when you watch the Minnesota game earlier in the season, and you see what Pierre-Luc Dubois can be, and yes, touched on this again when the trade went down, you know, all that shit about, oh, he doesn't get the system, he doesn't know how to play with this guy, you know, give him time. He looked perfectly fine in those two games. Right. More than perfectly fine. He looked dominant. He looked unstoppable. He looked uncheckable. He looked like he was very difficult to handle below the dots. Like it was all right there. Right. So it's there. We know it's there. It's the same question that's been around him. His entire career is like, we know you can do it. Can you do it consistently over a course of 82 games and then playoffs and all that stuff? So the good news is it's there. That's right. That's the positive. It's just a matter of, getting it together. And another positive is that the team is rolling. So whatever he needs to do to figure it out, right? he's got some breathing room here. Uh, because if you want to talk about the whole idea was like, well, how are you going to match up against these three centers? That becomes a little less difficult to do if your third line center or whatever, your sec- one of your three centers is not dialed in the way the other two are. So that's all we're saying. We're still rooting for the guy. For crying yeah, out loud. Like, I'm, I'm we not, want... Dude, we were we were extremely complimentary of him. In the last episode, we were talking about how 
man, I wish Quentin Byfield could have a little bit of right that dog in him, like 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 Dubois does at moments. And I, I'm just again, I don't need him to be that way every single night. But we've we've said the same thing about Kopitar for years. Man, if you could just shoot more or be a little more aggressive offensively. But the flip side of that is that even on nights where maybe Kopitar doesn't have that, the attention to defensive detail or, or the idea of like at least playing a clean game, not making right. mistakes. Puck management right? and all that. Puck management, simple things. That was the part that irritated me. I don't care if the scoring isn't perfect. The effort was where I was really upset. And I had noticed it a little bit, maybe like around the Vegas game. Then I saw it a little bit more in Toronto. And I wasn't sure if that was just because like the team was was doing so well that, I don't know, that backed off a little bit. But the Philly game was really where I was just like, dude, this is, it's not just a, ah, we're ahead. Who cares? It was like, you're by far the worst player on this team tonight. And you you just can't. You can't be that obviously terrible. Like maybe he was jet lagged. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he got food poisoning. I don't know. But it, games like that are very irritating to me for players of that caliber. That's that's just where I stand. You're not Trevor Lewis. You're not Blake Lazat. The expectations are much higher for you. I'm sorry. That's just what you signed up for. The expectations were not that high for Cam Talbot, but like we mentioned, second star of the week, his last mm-hmm. five starts. Uh, let's see. Arizona 9-4-4 came in relief, save percentage. Against Vegas, he was uh, 900 flat. Against Toronto, 9-6-7. Against Ottawa, 9-2-3. And obviously against Philly, perfect. What are you seeing, man? Like, I mean, I think it's a team plus goalie thing. You know, I think mm-hmm. the Kings probably tops in the league, or at least top three in uh, high danger chances against in terms of how low they are. Uh, they're not allowing much. I think they're... Denying zone entries, obviously, which is natural with their system with the one-three-one, but they haven't been perfect. I mean, their other teams are still getting looks. Those pushbacks are coming. Toronto had a big push, I remember, uh, after the Kings went up two nothing. Ottawa had a big push, so the pushes are there. And when those come, I find that he's been solid, and that's when you need him to be solid, really. So that's what I see. How I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see same yep i think that's dead on um he's still making the occasional huge save i don't think he's had to make one where you're just like oh my god i hope his surgically repaired hip and groin are okay on that one um and i hope that doesn't have to happen very often i think the team like you said is doing what they what they did last year too I mean, that's that's how Copley got the record that he did, despite the safe percentage and everything not necessarily being sterling. The team in front of them, the puck management, is as good as it's ever been. We were let down last year in the first two and a half months by lackluster goaltending on chances that should not have been going in. Both Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick were doing terribly against low and medium danger chances. We we highlighted that the Cal had the worst save percentage for low and medium danger chances and 
I forget high danger. Anyway, he wasn't, it was not good. Like the entire league wide, it was not good, which opens the door for a career backup like Phoenix Copley to come on and suddenly be a savior by just playing average hockey. And my only concern with Cam Talbot is his longevity. That's that's really what it comes down to. He's still an older goalie. He's he's about to play his tenth game, which means he's gonna get his bonus, which is gonna <laughs> probably roll over to next season, cap yes, it wise. So I just don't know with the rigors of a 82 game season. And even though maybe McClellan won't come out and say it, but clearly he's playing him like the number one goaltender at the moment. Um, how, how well that's going to last. Um, you know, you bring up the, we've brought up the idea a couple times of that, that they're both stopgap goaltenders, maybe even for this season that there will be some sort of a move goaltending wise still to come. I, I, I'm not as convinced that that's the case, especially because there's other teams that are in more desperate need of goaltending right now. Um, so assuming that Talbot is going to be the guy for the, for the duration of the season, I do worry that maintaining that and maintaining health will be difficult for him. Concur, man. I mean, I think early in the season, McClellan said, like, I don't, it was like uh, on the, behind the glass, I don't care if Cam gets an 80 save shutout, Phoenix is going in the next game. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was something along those lines. And, and he seemed very adamant about a rotation, but obviously that's out the window now. Yeah. Um, I mean, how and, can you? How can, I yeah, mean, you, realistically, a, you can't. It's because of Copley's play. It's not even a coaching decision, right? The decision was kind of made for him. <clears throat> but, I mean, it would really be in the King's best interest to get Copley going somehow. Mm -hmm. He's got to get in the net. He's got to get confident. Like, you have to because of all the reasons you mentioned, right? Fatigue, age, all that stuff. I mean, I expect he's going to play one of the three games this week, right? Like, maybe even against Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, he has to. He has to. But for Talbot, he is currently sitting fifth in the NHL in goals saved above expected. Mm -hmm. A stark contrast to I don't think Phoenix Copley's goal save above expected last year were anything no sparkling. I don't, think it, was, I don't not, think it was ever positive, honestly. Certainly not Peterson or Quick in the early going. So, you know, it, it is the team, but it's also the goaltender. Four goalies have more goals saved above expected in the league are Thatcher Demko, Jeremy Swayman, Semyon Varlamov in only three games. So. Mm -hmm. And Joseph Wall for Toronto's, who's played very well. Those are the four ahead of him, right behind him by like point one are Logan Thompson mm -hmm. and Aiden Hill. Eighth is Jonathan Quick, <laughs> which is which is the craziest one when you think <laughs> about like, dude, where were you last season? Right, <laughs> right. like if, if you were doing this last year, we wouldn't be talking about you playing for the New York Rangers. That being said, he was at 5-3 today against Detroit. New York was up 5-0, and I think the final ended up being 5-3. So, I don't know. I It's nice. It's nice to get this kind of goaltending. I don't think anyone expected goaltending of this caliber from him or from Copley necessarily. 
but it's nice to get this. It's nice to bank these points. These are the types of moments that over the course of an 82 game season end up being very, very important, especially when you look at the Kings schedule and you realize that the softer, the softer parts of the schedule are still to come, whether those softer parts remain soft kind of it will be interesting to see because i feel like a couple of the teams that they're going to play against are going to go through some uh remodeling so to speak by the time by the time december and january roll around so but yeah it's been a it's been a tough start for them they've played some tough teams to start they've played swayman who who put on a hell of a show against us um at home um i forget was wall and net against toronto when we played yeah so so we beat him so and now you're going to play one of aiden hill and logan thompson one of whom you already you know lost to in a shutout so these are these are not easy games these are not this is not an easy part to their schedule to begin with and so it's nice to see them still playing well still banking points still you know gathering this identity as a team that hopefully will carry through for an entire season for them uh, Andre Kopitar, looking Steady for Eddie. Goal, goal number four hundred. So close in his career, career one away. I. Uh, it's hard to say with him, but I suspect he'll get it this week. That's that's probably fair. Three games. That's usually three games. One stretch. against Pittsburgh, who you know can't defend or stop right. a puck. So right. that's going to be a high scoring game one way or other. So. Hopefully, I think I'll be there Saturday night. I think. Nice. Uh, so uh, hopefully that's the day. <laughs> hopefully that's the day it happens. <laughs> that would be lovely. Just keep celebrating his accomplishments in person. That's the only time we go to the rink now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something <laughs> something special might happen? All right, and fine. The opening we'll be for Kopi will be there. Cool. Yeah, the neck guard thing I wanted to just quickly touch on. Okay. Uh, Kopitar was wearing a, a neck guard in practice and, and might be wearing one tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did mention that if he feels comfortable enough, he would wear it out to the game. So just something to keep an eye on. It's getting a little bit more traction. It's gaining a little bit more weight to it. TJ Oshie, I think, came out first and was like, yeah, I'm wearing this because like, I love my family, basically. Not to, I'm right. not laughing, but it's such a simple idea that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why 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 wouldn't you and hopefully it becomes a thing where it's i want to say grandfathered in almost i think now that it's something that you see nhl players are interested in i suspect that these brands like war road and, and bauer will actually strive to make the most comfortable possible turtleneck undershirt combos and the classiest one that can be worn away from the rink as well that's i hope right. that's right hopefully you know it's interesting is tj oshi is uh part owner or founder of war road oh absolutely and, he played he played for the war road warriors in, right. in minnesota so that's where that comes right from. so you know obviously after the ridiculously tragic uh event that happened with uh with adam johnson i i i had been looking back multiple times i think back when eric carlson first had his achilles severed i i looked at getting kevlar socks and just didn't for whatever reason and then um even before patrick Kane, i'm forgetting who there was another player who had the radial artery on their wrist sliced 
or something. I'm forgetting exactly now who it was, but definitely when that oh, happened. Oh, you mean Kane, Evander Kane? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Oh, did I say Patrick? I apologize. Yeah, no when, when when that happened to Evander Kane, I definitely I was like, okay, time to time to get some risk cards. Like this is this is stupid. You know, I play beer league. There's guys falling all over the place. There's blades, you know, yeah, up in my neck all the damn time. I'm definitely going to get some risk cards. And I looked and I just, I, again, browsed for like three days, didn't buy anything, forgot about it. So once this happened, I was like, okay, you know, this is just, it's, it's too many things. And so I finally like committed. I bought some Kevlar socks. I bought some, some wrist guards with padding and Kevlar built into them. And I actually started looking like to see if they had like an undershirt that had a combo of the neck guard and, mm-hmm. and Kevlar at the wrists, which was, which to me seemed like the most logical thing, right? Like one piece, put it on, good to go. And War Road is the only one that has something like it, but it's a bit pricey for, for like a sure. beer league. Like it's, it's like 250, I think for like an undershirt neck thing combo. And I'm like, uh, that's that's a bit much. So I kind of had to mix and match and, and come up with a, but my point is that, you, you know, these things exist, they can easily be made and there's already companies out there that are making them. But as most things in sports and hockey in general, it, it requires some sort of event or something to get people more attuned to it. Now, I don't know what percentage of the league wears Kevlar socks, I I would hope that at this point a fair number of them do given the number of high profile injuries like we said Eric Carlson Jeff Carter had his uh his tibial tendon I think sliced like so yeah I I I'd be curious I'd be curious to know the neck guard is more obvious right like you know when someone's wearing a neck guard there's no there's no missing that but I'd be curious to know with the wrist guards and the socks how what percentage of the players wear them do you got anything say, like that i i know you used to wear wrist guards but i don't know if they were necessarily they were, ones no or not. no they were like slash guards more than anything they okay yeah I, I mean although they were thick enough where i don't think a blade's gonna penetrate it unless it's like a straight shot step on my mm-hmm. arm kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I've always worn undershirts that like rise up a little and mm-hmm. it's not even because I'm protecting anything. It just, I like the feel of it. When I imagine it, I imagine I would have no issue wearing like a turtleneck style undershirt with like a little bit of protection. I don't think it would bother me at all. I am stunned that it took this long for a tragedy like this to occur. I really am. And then it sickens me to say that. But if you consider how fast this sport is, mm-hmm. especially at the pro level, um, if you consider how frequently these guys sharpen their skates, I don't think they're ever not perfectly sharp, actually, now that you could just kind of pop out the the runner and just mm-hmm. replace mm-hmm. it. Really, I'm really surprised it took this long, unfortunately. For for something, or fortunately, I guess that it hadn't happened yet. But really surprised it yeah, took I mean, this long for something on the scale to happen. I really am. I mean, the famous picture is always of uh, of Clint Malarchuk. Yeah, you know, grabbing his throat with blood sprayed in front of him and in, in front of the goalie crease, and 
I think most goaltenders wear some sort of neck protection, but you're absolutely right. Like why, why a player would look at that situation and go, Oh, that's a goalie. That's only going to happen to goalies. And so I'm not going to, I don't need that. That's yeah. I don't know. I I don't know how much of that is again, kind of the backwards hockey mentality. Cause I feel like a lot of the junior leagues I've seen them and they play, I, I, I remember photos of like Sidney Crosby and them in the QMJHL wearing like neck protectors. So Europe, and I'll tell you across Europe, yeah, anyone that's not a pro is wearing them. Yeah. And I'll tell you the one that I got is just like a run of the mill Bauer one with, with Kevlar built into the thing. It feels fine. Like you, you don't feel anything out. It's not like it's constricting in any way. Like it's adjustable. It's got a Velcro strap. It's just meant to come up enough to cover. And, and that's kind of it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. The, I mean, the first thing I thought of was Malarchuk, but also Richard Zednick. Do you remember the, the Zednick incident? Yes, dude. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. That was scary because I just remember the amount of blood on the ice. Yeah. And then the scar afterwards. Like, luckily, yep. he, was, he was fine, but he was, like, showing it off. And it was gruesome. And, again, it goes to show that should have been a wake-up call. And... Unfortunately, like you said, sometimes it takes the worst case scenario. Uh, and I do hope it's grandfathered in like visors because there's no reason not to at this point. So, I mean, dude, you, you can just, Ryan Burrard lost an eye, like kid. And there's still people coming in and not wearing visors. It, well, not it's, anymore. It's, well, true. But my point is that like, it took, it took a while even after that for, for that to happen, you know? So it's just, oh yeah, there's still guys who, you know, aren't going to wear one no matter what you do, right? Like there's guys who came in before it was mandated. Like I don't know, is there anyone on the Kings? I don't think so. I think everyone's visored. Ryan Reeves doesn't wear one, for example, because right, he's got to have his face open for punching or whatever he gets paid <laughs> to do. But guys like that, like they just. You know, they're going to go away at some point and everyone's going to have a visor, which is such a... Right. I mean, I would even do face masks, but I don't want anyone to yell at me, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, again, it's the beer league guys who who yell at you. <laughs> I'm sure you've had this happen to you. Some some idiot without a mask, without a shield or anything will yell at you, take the birdcage off and tell that to me. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the wednesday night warriors you just, yeah, yeah i can't take you less seriously than i do when you yell something like that real tough guy <laughs> hiding behind a cage it's like yeah. we're 40 years old like just my daughter is my son and daughter, like sleeping <laughs> idiot anyway uh, just silly stuff man all right, let's um, go around the league a little bit. Anything right, else on the Kings? Right. I think we're feeling good. Um, yeah, no, I, I just everyone I think is doing well. I think you know you're seeing Andreas Englund do well. You're seeing he I think is Jordan doing Spence. Well. He is doing well. I think he's for a bottom pairing. D D's doing exactly what you need him to do, and he's a, you know he's a physical presence. I wouldn't consider him a, a liability. I have not seen him be a liability yet. Perfect. I feel like Jordan Spence is coming into his own a bit. Um, yeah. 
the the third line, so to speak, is still still humming along nicely. I'm I'm happy with the team. I think the team is playing terrific, and I will leave it at that. You know who's not playing terrific. <laughs> I'll let you have the stage for this one, Listen, buddy. You I'm take not gonna, it, no, you no, I'm take not it gonna, away. I already had my fun with the Oilers last last episode. I really leaned into them. I did enjoy it. Jack Campbell on waivers. Not surprising. Funny because Stuart Skinner got lit up and they're like, all right, Jack, you're out of here. <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> Vancouver like... <laughs> puts five in on Skinner and Ken Allen's like, get Jack Campbell out here right now. I need to talk to him. Um, they're both just terrible. So whatever. The thing is you can't wave Skinner, right? Like you can't. Yeah. You're going to keep him. He's it's his second season. Um, Jack Campbell was obviously a mistake, at least for the price. It was a mistake. I think we all kind of felt that when their contract was signed, there weren't goalies available and they desperately right. needed one. So they just got what they felt was the best goalie on the market, which is probably true at the time. I can't remember who was a free agent, but it was obviously after the first series with the Oilers that the Kings had because Mike Smith was in that for that one. Correct. Um, I think it was I think it was before twenty two summer. And it was before Skinner was really a player for them, right? Like, oh Campbell yeah, it was Koskinen. It was Koskinen and Smith, right? In the right. 2022 playoffs, right? So Skinner was nowhere, nowhere to be found. No, Skinner he was, was probably in Baco or whatever. But that's what I mean. I think if Skinner had been, who, not that he's great, but like if Skinner had presented himself as an option before they signed Campbell, then I don't think they would have signed Campbell. I think they signed Campbell in a situation where Mike Smith was done. And it was him and Koskinen, and Koskinen was on a horrific deal as well, and he's a terrible goaltender as well. So it, it's just been like one thing after another with the with the Edmonton goaltending, um, mostly brought on by just kind of a weirdly constructed team that's never not a good team. <laughs> it's never, yeah. This is never really the focus has never been keeping the puck out of their own net. Yeah, and and this season they. They got rid of all the depth. They got rid of the depth that beat the Kings in the playoffs. Right. They got rid of Bukestad, Costin, Yamamoto. And I, I couldn't even tell you who's on their bottom six right now. Just a bunch of guys. Some some dudes. Derek Ryan. Sam Gagne, a PTO mm-hmm. that no one wanted. 32 teams passed on him, including the Oilers. And in their desperation, signed him. And he looks like their best player. <laughs> Just, right. And it's not just because he popped in too, honestly. Like, he's, like, working hard, and he's probably so confused because he's, like, I should – he's probably, like, I shouldn't be this visible on this team. But he is. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Between Calgary and Edmonton, mm. who is, in your opinion, in deeper shit? Oh, Edmonton. I, I, I say that with without any hesitation. Again, coming back to the expectations, that's that's really the it's it's the delta for me. It's the where you were and where you're at. Calgary, you can say, has already kind of partly accepted that 
this team was not constructed the way that it should have been. And then they had to go through a coaching change and a GM change with the hopes that Craig Conroy could kind of salvage from the mess that was left to him. The trades that were made and the players that were brought in and how they were coached under the prior regime. And now all that's kind of been turned over and he has to kind of figure something out. But the advantage he has is that these are older players. These are, yes, they're locked into long-term deals. But when I look at Edmonton and when I look at how they're constructed and when I look at what they were constructed for, they're stuck with these guys. They had to build the team around McDavid and Dreisaitl. They had no choice. And you're not going to get rid of those guys. They are going to be the focal point for your for your franchise for as long as they choose to be. So I, I, I look at the structure of that team and I go, man, you are just rudderless. You have gone from cup contender to fire the coach, trade the defense, drop a goaltender in, in a matter of like a month and a half. So to me, that's a, that's a bigger fall from grace. And I think that's a bigger issue than Calgary's where everyone was kind of hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. Maybe that was just my own read of, of Calgary. Different opinion on your end or? Mm-mm. It's, it's a little different in that. I think maybe I should have framed the question differently. Okay. If I had to pick one team to turn it around, I would pick the Oilers to turn. Oh, it I see. Yes. Yeah. I yes. think that's, yes. I think that's where I'm at with that. And that's strictly because of who they have on the roster and at the top, right. just to clarify. And I do think Jay Woodcroft is a better coach than he's showing right now. Um, I think his mistake this season was trying to implement a new defense, just kind of changing the way the Oilers play, specifically defense, mm-hmm. which has never been, you know, something they've been great at. But for whatever reason, last season they were able to, at the very least, create offense from their defense, and they're just not able to right now. Mm-hmm. They're a mess in their own zone. They can't get out of their zone. They can't get the puck to their forwards when they're in their zone. And you see they're 27th in goals for you want to talk about a big stat? That's a big difference. That's that's the difference. Like they're not, they're not scoring. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if McDavid and Drysaitel go cold, which they are right now for the first time I think in like years, mm-hmm. you see how shallow this team is offensively, and that's what you're seeing. I do think their expected goals, their high danger chances allowed, all that stuff is still looks good, and I think. Something as simple as a call up for Calvin Picard to come in or Pickard, whatever, however you pronounce it, Mm -hmm. to come in and just make saves might be enough for them to turn it around. I really do think that Mm -hmm. because I think they're playing completely terrified to make a mistake right now because every time they make a mistake, the red light's on. Right. And when you play like that, you're going to play tight, you're going to play terrified. And I think if you can have some breathing room to allow yourself to make a mistake, I think that's the path to making your defense better, ironically. I could see that. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I guess. 
Yeah. What I what would I want to happen? I want them to lose to San Jose. That's what I want. <laughs> because then, my friend, then you will see a true shit show. Right. That only the city of Edmonton can can bring and put on <laughs> for you. Vancouver, dude. Vancouver looks great. Vancouver. And I don't know how much of that is just the fact that they've played Edmonton three times in their <laughs> games so far. And Edmonton just looks terrible against Vancouver and Vancouver just gets excited every time they know they're going to play Edmonton because of that. Um, Edmonton, terrible in defending the rush. Maybe again, it's maybe it's to your point. It's the implementation of a completely different defensive approach. Maybe it's the fact that Evan Bouchard is just absolutely atrocious when it comes to doing anything defensively or difficult or difficult or hard or, (laughs) or painful or anything that doesn't involve him basically having the puck on the power play. Um, and, and Darnell nurse is about as average as they come, despite the fact that he's paid like he's a top 10 defenseman in the league. I don't know. It's tough to say, but either way, Vancouver looks at those games and goes, yup. And then just hooks molly whopped Edmonton. I mean, that game was brutal, dude. Those goals that they scored were not just like, Oh, hard nose, gritty, whatever. I think there was one goal that was, Besser's uh, first power play goal that was like, okay, that's a point shot and the puck just died right on his blade. What are you going to do? Every other goal was just poetry and flowing motion. And Edmonton looked totally confused, falling over themselves, slide whistle sound effects kind of playing all over the place. I do not look forward to playing Vancouver. I do think Vancouver is for real. I really I do, do too. I and, do because they're talented in the right positions, dude. Just Demko, Demko alone will cover up a lot of your warts. He's currently, like we said, first in in goals saved above expected. Probably the best goalie in the league right now. The way he's playing, yeah. and the offense probably not sustainable. To be fair, probably probably not, not sustainable. sustainable. But how bad is it going to get with that right. guy? Not too right. bad. I'm assuming, right. <laughs> like. And and they they've proven that they can score. So there might be some games where I have to bail old Thatcher out, and they can do that. Mm-hmm. I think Elias Pettersson is leading the league in scoring, if I'm not mistaken. Last I checked. Yep, not too far behind him is JT Miller. Not too far behind him is Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is a machine right now. Wish I put a Norris ticket on him earlier mm. in the season, but all eyes were on Kale McCarr naturally. Mm-hmm. Until Jack Hughes's injury, it looked like we might have a Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes hardware summer because, you know, Norris yeah. heart looked like yeah. looked like that was happening. So uh, good genes in that family, huh? Because Luke no Hughes kidding. is like second in rookie yeah. scoring. <laughs> so. No kidding. I don't want to dump on the Sharks. I feel bad for him. I know, no, like, man, as, that's just. I know, as Kings fans, like a lot of Kings fans are like, "God, this is great." It's not. It's not great when the team is built to be bad. Like there is no joy in that. There is joy in Edmonton because it was cup right. or bust. Right. There's no. I take no pleasure in a team that is. We talked about it in our season preview. It's like this is the worst team I've ever seen. Right, and that was Top before Logan Couture was hurt indefinitely and i mean their roster is just a bunch of guys that i've never heard of and a bunch of guys that i can't believe are still playing yeah 
it's it's just it's just awful it's just just weird weird stuff going on you want to guess they won tonight though they won tonight by the way they beat philly which i would not want to be in a locker room with john tortorella right now no not really no no thank you coming off i mean the goal differential rubbing by the kings jeez you come out and you lose to san jose you're a bad team, man. <laughs> That's that seals it. Because they were kind of playing okay to start the year. Philly was. Yeah. And everyone was like, "Oh yeah, Flyers." Nope. Nope. <laughs> Done. But yeah, minus forty-two goal differential for San Jose Sharks. Yeah, I mean, two two games where you allow ten goals on you will will boost that number right quick. Yeah. If uh, if the Oilers were in good form. I really think Connor McDavid would have had a shot at Daryl Sittler's record this next game for the Oilers. But mm-hmm. too bad. Too mm-hmm. bad. The Pacific's just a weird division to me, man. I, I pointed this out before, and maybe now Anaheim's kind of leveling out a bit, but they're they're so up and down. And there's so many teams that I expected to be better than they are, and they just look awful. I expected Vegas to be good. Maybe they're not really this good. Maybe they'll level off too. I do agree with you that Vancouver is is legit. I think we talked about how we weren't really sure where they would land, kind of mid range, not sure what they have, but their their talent is real. Pedersen's supremely talented. We've known that. Hughes very talented. JT Miller has always put up points. Demko had a tough season last year, he and did. health and, health was yeah. a big problem. Yeah. So as long as they're healthy, I I do think that they're a, a legit team, a very very legit what, team. What they did above all else is they rebuilt their defense completely, mm-hmm. and that's Hughes. They got Philip Ronick from. Yeah. Oh my God, what a pickup for them! What they a signed Carson Susie, and they got Ian Cole as your bottom. Like that'll that'll do. Yep, that'll do to solidify your D right there. I guess. We shouldn't be surprised. I think I, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't think they would be better. But at the same time, I don't think we anyone expected Alberta to be on fire right now. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't think Seattle would would struggle as much as they have either. So no, now they don't have Carson Susie anymore. So you know that's that's the key. Should have signed Carson Susie, boys. You know what's interesting is for Vancouver, it gets even better next year because well somewhat better so the bad news is they have to re-sign Elias Peterson Peterson to a to a new contract next year so you yep. know he's he's gonna That's break over that. 10 yeah yeah easily easily you're gonna lock him down on the plus side at least six million of that 10 is gonna come from Tyler Myers coming off of the books finally He's, he's making looked, six million dollars he's, he's looked good this season just, fine just, but he's not he's not he's six not gonna million. make six yes sure so, sure. and then they, Anthony Bavoulier is making 4.15. He's UFA. You've got a bunch of third, fourth line guys. They're, they're set up nicely. Their structure in terms of their salaries and everything. Quinn Hughes signed at 7.85 mil. What a steal until 27, 28. Yep. Just man. Good contract. Good contract. Solid contract. When the, Good when you timing. have a 
brilliant timing. You knew what you had. You throw that money, you lock it down. And, and it's worrisome. It's worrisome when I see a team do well and I know their talent is young and I know that they're in a position where even when they resign a guy like Pedersen, they're still going to have room to do what they need to to make their team even better for the next several seasons. So again, reiterating that the Kings window is probably two, maybe three years at the most yeah. to make something happen here. Yeah, and they got to sign Byfield now. They got to worry right. about Quentin Byfield possibly putting up 65 points now. Dude, I welcome it. I, I welcome, welcome it too. It's a great problem to have. Yeah. But, but it's... more than that, I'll, I'll tell you why I welcome it. Because my fear was that if he didn't have a season like that, if he put up like a 30, 40 point season, they would bridge him for two years. Mm-hmm. And then he'd blow up and have a ridiculous kind of couple of years. And then the, the price for what his contract would be beyond that would be even more. I think if he gets a 60, 65 point season now and you offer him... Six million for eight years or something like that. Got to sign that. I think he, yeah. Then I think he signs that, and you're and you get good value for that for that contract. Yeah. Just not that I'm responsible for any of this stuff, but that's that's my thought process when I look at this. I hate it when it's kind of like a mid range season and they're never sure what to do, and then you end up settling on a bridge deal that ends up costing you more down the way. So. All right. All right. Let me take a look-see here. Yeah, I mean, looking kind of ahead at the schedule here, Vegas is obviously the the tough one, the toughest, I should say. Not that they can't lose against any of these teams, but you go three and four for the rest of this week and then another long four-day layoff. And then you, um, I think those are in Florida, right? The, the next one on the 16th is in Florida and the and, um. St. Louis, I can't quite tell looking here if it's at home or away, but in any case, three and four, another long layoff, and then Florida, St. Louis coming in, and then another game against Phoenix on the 20th. So I would say that over the next six games, which will probably be the, you know, the next time we record might be after that. I'm not sure, but Vegas is the big one. Vegas is by far the one that you worry about the most. The other ones I think are very much winnable games for this, for this team. That's I think after the Vegas game, the schedule softens up. Um, so those Florida yeah, the rest Florida, of this month is definitely not as daunting. Yeah, Florida, St. Louis are the Kings are home. So they it'll are. be a four game homestand, Pittsburgh, Philly, Florida, St. Louis. They'll go to Arizona on the twentieth. They'll go to Anaheim and then they're back home against Montreal and Washington. So th- right there, that's a nice little pocket of the schedule where you yeah. could at least gain some ground on Vancouver, although they're mm-hmm. right there. What I mean is I don't expect Vancouver to falter exactly. Um, sure. So maybe you, you snag two points, plus two points on Vancouver there. That would be nice. I'm glad we get to see teams that are less terrifying, even though first week of December, Colorado comes right back. So Just, just get those points, man. Get, Get those points, points, bank points. That's it. It's it's as simple as that. All right. Big week for this PLD. Is... I feel it. Okay. All right. I love it. Make it happen. Manifest. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll happily see it and accept it. Okay. Episode 108. I'll give you one of them. Drew Doughty. That You're day. welcome.
I'll give you one, my friend. Okay. Dimitri Kristich. Oof, 96-97. You knew it was coming. Not a lot of number eight, surprisingly. Or not, not a lot of prominent number eights, I should say. Um, correct. Lot, I, I, there's a fair number of number eights. None have been anywhere near the stratosphere of Drew Doughty. And he'll be the last one. Guaranteed. Um, I'm going to go with a couple of names. I'm going to float a couple of names. I'm going to go Doug Huda. Correct. Wait, Great. hold on. No, no. Yes. Hold, okay. hold on. What? Hey. How is it this difficult what? to figure out? I don't see Doug Huda okay, on the list. Wrong. But... Uh, but I appreciate you thinking I had it right. Because um, you know what? You said Doug and I went with a different Oh, Doug, Doug Bodger is what There it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, I got The Bodge, as they called him. I, I don't know. Sure, I'm sure that's <laughs> Bodgy. Bodgy boy. <laughs> yeah. Honey Bodger. Before honey um, badgers were a thing. I really, I might. Ooh, 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 I got a good one. Okay. Yuri Karolati. Bingo. That's that's a solid bingo, one. Bingo, bingo. Yes. <laughs> Is there another one before Dowdy? Uh, technically, there's four. Between Carlotti and Dowdy? Yeah, between 2002 oh and 2009. Oh. I mean, they're all names I, I recognize, but you could... I, there's no way I would have necessarily remembered that they wore these numbers. Okay. Um, Maxim Kuznetsov. Uh, <laughs> are you are you saying that with confidence? Or are you saying that zero because, confidence? My friend. no, no. Oh God. Okay. Um, I really don't have any more. I really don't. All right. Okay, I'll fill in the gaps. Uh, Jeff them. Cowan, apparently. That's right. Or eight. Uh, Martin Sturbach, also mm. or apparently number eight, the same year as Jeff Cowan. And then apparently Mike Weaver, or eight. I remember Mike Weaver as like a number in the 40s for some reason. 49 seems to ring a bell. Maybe the season after he officially made the team. You know what? He was 43. Mike go. Weaver wore 43, but I guess at some point he wore eight and then went back okay. to 43 multiple times in his career afterwards. Mike the Dream Weaver, as we called him. We did. Uh, and then Matt Ellis wore number eight in 2008. So there you go. There There's we a few go. for you. And then everything uh, beyond that um, predates uh, Dimitri Kristich. Anyone in the nineties? I only care oh, yeah. about the nineties. There's there's a few. Before Kristich. Yes, there's one, two, three, four people in the nineties and you, one in eighty nine. You can name those. You want me to just five. go through it? Okay. Just those five. Uh okay. Kevin Brown in nineteen ninety five. Rob Murphy in nineteen ninety four. Renee Chapeldane in nineteen ninety three. Mm. And uh Scott Bugstad from ninety to ninety two. No, none of this is, none of this seems Scott, to be registering Scott much. Scott Bukestad does, but I mean, these are not. No, no, no really nothing not. prominent. Yeah. Uh, Gills Hamel in 1989. 
and Paul Fenton, 88 to 1989. Paul Fenton. Should have known that. There you go. There you go. Uh, and then Paul, Paul Guy in 1987, Brian Wilkes, 1986, Terry Ruskowski, 83 Terry to Terry Ruskowski, King's captain. There you go. Good fact. <laughs> yeah, captain uh, that team. Dan, Dan Bonner, 81 to 83. Uh, Jim Weatherspoon, 1976. Bert Wilson, 1976 to 1980. Doug Volmar, 1973. Jim Johnson, 1972. Ross Lonsberry, 70 to 72. <laughs> I love that name. Ross Lonsberry. <laughs> the Lonsberries <laughs> taste like Lonsberries. <laughs> So uh, Jimmy Jimmy Peters, 69 to 75, and Brian Smith, 1968. It's a tough one for you, bud. I'm sorry. It was a, it's hard. When one guy wears the number for 15 years, yeah. you just you, you sort of kind of forget that anyone else really ever wore it. It is. It's tough. Just something to look but, forward to when number 11 rolls around, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll be good at 11, dude. Come on. Um, <laughs> you mentioned nicknames. We talked about... Doug Bodger's nickname. Hockey Reference is now putting nicknames under under the player name and all the oh, nicknames. Really? Every player is it's hilarious. Wait, I have I have Doug Bodger's open. How does he not have a nickname? He doesn't have one. Go to uh that, that seems like a shame. Go to it's anyone a missed else. opportunity there. Go to I don't know, Ovechkin or Gretzky, you'll see him. Um but I did look <laughs> what did I look at? JT Comfer. And his nicknames are as follows: Comfs, Timothy, Timothy, and eight seven seven goals now. Great. No one calls him that. I I mean, just insane to even call him that. But I got a kick out of Timothy, Timothy. I'm I'm upset that I'm looking at Vladislav Gavrikovs and they don't have his several nicknames that. I recall seeing from Columbus fans before he came over, such as the G wagon and the G unit. Uh, what do they have? Do they have anything? Nothing. There's no nickname for Vladislav Gavrikov listed on hockey reference, That's but somehow, ch- somehow Timothy Timothy makes it <laughs> for makes JT it. Comfort. I'm also very upset that Jared Smithson doesn't have the baby face assassin. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just don't know hockey reference needs. <laughs> a little deeper research going forward. But, so. but, it, but poke around. It's fun. There's some nicknames where you're like, I had no idea. Like um, Mario Lemieux has all of his greatest hit nicknames. And then one of them is just ace. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky's is Brinks. Who the hell called Wayne Gretzky Brinks? One guy, one time. That's what, that's what. There's that now is. an editor on hockey reference. Apparently. <laughs> Oh man. It's not even a, like if it's a Brinks truck thing, this guy didn't even get paid fairly in his entire I know. Apparently he did for, for what people thought he should have been. I don't know. Uh good times. Good times. All right. Great. Another one in the books. Nice week. Love covering a winning week. Hopefully more winning episodes to cover. Uh, please like, subscribe, keep the Twitter interaction coming, even the bad stuff, except be careful because God is blocking people these days. Um, anyway, enjoy the games. Go Kings. Go.